Now, let's go up. Let's go up to the next level of the mountain as we make our way to the peak. The peak is the next couple weeks at the cross. Uh, let's turn our attention to verse 26 of Matthew chapter 27. And this is where Jesus is scourged and beaten to near death. And just, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I don't plan to get graphic. I don't plan to give you like any shock value. But some of this, as we talk about it, it could be slightly PG-13. It could be a, a little uncomfortable to think about in your mind. But uh, we want to extrapolate what is written and understand what took place. Matthew chapter 27, verse 26 says, Then he released Barabbas for them, but after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Scourging in the first century was a horrible punishment. It was used to prepare a, a criminal for the soon death by crucifixion. In the works of Josephus, volume 304, chapter 6, he says, Scourging was meant to fillet someone to the bone, often resulting in death before they even got to the cross. The scourging whip had a short wooden handle, and on the end were leather thongs. Each thong was tipped with a very sharp piece, pieces of metal or bone. The man to be scourged was tied to a post by the wrist high over his head, with his feet and body draped below. Two scourgers, one on each side, took turns lashing him across the back. Muscles lacerated, veins and arteries torn open, often the kidneys, the spleen, and other organs would be exposed and slashed. It was not very pretty, and it was, not very, it was very ugly. Many victims died from the scourging before it was over. Now, we do not know the full extent of Jesus' wounds at his scourging, but we do know, according to the scripture, that um, he was so weakened by this barbaric torture, he was unable to carry his own cross. There was so much blood loss, so much energy loss, so much everything. He, and he hasn't even gotten to the cross yet. That he, he's just, uh, he, he, he's, in, he's, in really, he's in really bad shape, as a, as a doctor or a paramedic would say. He's close to death. Uh, Isaiah chapter 52 verse 14 says, Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man. He was ripped to pieces. Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He was the Lamb of God on the conveyor belt being led to the house of slaughter as he is preparing to become the sacrifice for the sin of the world. The judgment of God, the wrath of God, the penalty for our sin was, was, was coming upon the Lord Jesus as he was going to the cross. It was very difficult. It was a very trying, difficult morning. And imagine the disciples who watched from a distance. This is Jesus that they had followed for three years. They saw him perform the miracles. They saw him welcome the children. They saw Jesus going around Israel, 
doing all these wonderful and beautiful things, healing people, forgiving people of their sin, raising Lazarus from the dead, giving them the comfort of the words of heaven in John chapter 14, giving us this beautiful sermon on the mount, all these beautiful, glorious things, good things that he did. And now he's behind the woodshed and, he's, and, and they're taking it to him and they're taking it to him hard. It was a very difficult morning in the eyes of the disciples. And you say, Pastor David, you're, you're taking us low. You're helping us see the raw and the hardness of it. And then we should, we should go through that because early on Sunday morning in two days, it's gonna make it that much more glorious. And you know what happens then. But before we get there, it's, it's a difficult morning. Verse 27 says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium. So he says there in verse 27, the soldiers of the governor, so we know that Pontius Pilate is still in control. Pontius Pilate is still calling the shots. And uh, it says uh, he took Jesus into the praetorium. The praetorium was a common hall where justice to the condemned was finalized. It was that place you go where they stamp it. This, this is it. We are finalizing your verdict. You are being sent away to crucifixion or to incarceration or whatever. This was the final stage before he heads down the Via Della Rosa. And then also in verse 27, it says, And they gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. The word that grabbed my attention there in that part of the phrase was whole. Whole. I, I started doing some research and looking up what what commentators said. It, dis, it doesn't just say they gathered the Roman cohort around him. They gathered the whole Roman cohort. And the reason it grabbed my attention is because as we talked about this a couple weeks ago, a Roman cohort was 600 men. 600 soldiers. Really? 600 soldiers to escort Jesus into this hall? To take him into this back alley where the, the sentence will be finalized? In his commentary, R.T. Francis, he says this on that word whole there. <clears throat> he says, there is no exaggeration here. The soldiers uh, in the first century of a Roman cohort were made up of Phoenicians, Syrians, and Samaritans. And what we need to remember, <clears throat> this sounds very familiar to what's taking place today, is the Phoenicians, the Syrians, and the Samaritans, they did not like the Jews. They did not like the Jews. These soldiers, uh, Roman soldiers from outskirts of Israel, they did not like the Jews. And nothing thrilled them more than to get to rough up. To, than, than to get to rough up a Jew. They were jacked up. They were like, oh yeah, we got a Jew in here and we are going to handle him. Kind of sounds familiar today. What's going on with the hatred towards the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. You know, they, they've always been a people that have been despised and looked down upon, but that land was theirs for over 2,000 years. All of the Old Testament, from Abraham to David till the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, they've always been looked down upon and despised. And it was, no, it was happening today, it was happening 2,000 years ago. So, so here we go. Jesus is there, he's... he's, he's uh, being beaten to death, his face is swollen, he's covered in spit, he's bleeding profusely from the scourging, 
And because the text says he has not spoken to any of the soldiers, many commentators believe that they likely considered him mentally deranged. You know, he was just another person that they they get to mock and, and have fun with. Verse 28 opens up with, they stripped him. They stripped him. Notice the clear English words that's there in the text of Scripture. They stripped him. They did not ask Jesus to remove his clothing. They removed it for him. Modern religious art depicts Jesus as partially clothed. It says he was stripped. Nothing could be more embarrassing than to be stripped naked in front of others. But that was our Jesus. That was God in the flesh. And then it says, verse 28, and they put a scarlet robe on him. This was likely, most likely, not for sure, but most likely this was a, a Roman soldier's cape from the, from the Romans. Uh, it would have provided a temporary reprieve from the humiliation that he was experiencing at the hands of the soldiers. But think about putting this heavy garment over a body that has been mutilated and marred like it was. It would cling like static to all the wounds, to all the gashes, to all the holes. It was a very, very difficult hour, very difficult hour for our Jesus as he's struggling. Remember, 100% God, 100% man. He felt emotions. He felt pain. He felt the torture of the human experience of going through this humiliation and difficult hour. Verse 29 says, And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And verse 29 goes back to my original point from verse 27, how they looked down upon the Israelites and they looked down upon the Jews. And the Roman soldiers here, man, they are in hyper, hyper adrenaline mode. They are hyper adrenaline They had heard his claims. They had heard the claim that he was king of the Jews. So now it's time for some sadistic mocking. Verse 29 says, they put together a crown of thorns on his head. Not a real crown, but a crown of thorns. They made one up of these spiked limbs and they put the crown over his head. Then they put a reed in his hand to mock his rulership. And then they knelt down before him and mocked him. Boy, when I read that, that they actually knelt down before him and they mocked Jesus. You know, and in light of what Philippians says, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What would it be like to be a Roman soldier in that day? You know, in their flesh, carnality, they're, they're, they're bowing before Jesus in this human-like state where he's been tortured to near death. And then within 10, 15, 20, 30 years, they step into eternity and they see the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory and they bow before him then. But they're mocking him here. They're mocking him here. The world today mocks the thought of every knee bowing and every tongue confessing. But it is the promise of the word of God that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. The world will bow, you will bow, and I will bow. But they're mocking it here. Verse 30 says, uh, they spat on him, they took the reed, and they began to beat him on the head. So in my mind, as I'm seeing this take place, the soldiers see the crown of thorns, maybe it's slipping, maybe it's coming off. So what do they do? They do what good Roman soldiers would do, they fix it. They fix it by securing it, by beating it down on his head, sending the crown of thorns up against his actual skull. They say that this part of the body, the head, is one of the most, um, is one of the parts that bleed the most around the head. So they're just, they're tearing him up. They're, they're, they're putting it to him. But likely this crown of thorns, it went deep into his scalp from the, as verse 30 says, as they pounded him over the head and they drove that crown of thorns onto his head. Hard, hard to watch, hard to think about, but it's, it's, it is true. Verse 31, and after they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him and put his own garment back on him and they led him away to crucify him. So the scarlet robe that was put on back at verse 28, uh, likely it had slowed the bleeding, it patched some of the holes, kept some of the, him from having blood loss. Um, but what do they do now? They take that coat off. They, they rip it off again, reopening all of his wounds. Very hard, very hard to imagine. You know, the book of Hebrews tells us that uh, Jesus was crucified outside the city. Why was Jesus crucified outside the city? According to Jewish tradition and Josephus, uh, they were cruci- criminals were crucified outside the city uh, for sanitary reasons because it was such a mess. Uh, we're going to look at next week, uh, Golgotha. The word Golgotha means place of the skull, an outcropping of a rock where, where, where enemies uh, and political prisoners were, were crucified. And it was put up in a place where all the people could see it. It was Rome's way of saying, you disobey Roman law, you go against what you said, you're going up on that hill. So it was very difficult, very challenging hour for the Lord Jesus Christ. So he goes down the Via Della Rosa. The scripture doesn't give us, uh, this. the only thing the scripture gives us is the verse we're fixing to um, read. But just imagine from the Praetorium to Calvary, he's most likely paraded through the city, through a corridor, and Rome was big on letting the people see what was happening because it was their way of deterring rebellion against Rome. So he goes down the Via Della Rosa. He can't make it. He can't carry his cross. And so look at verse 32. Our last verse this morning. And as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. So they pull Simon into service. And I'm going to take you on a really cool little Bible study on this one verse. This is a really awesome verse. And I want to talk about two things. One, the impact 
that it had on Simon to carry Jesus' cross. But this guy, Simon, in verse 32, he has a connection to the Apostle Paul. Do you know that? I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to show it to you. Okay? So what is the impact that this Simon carrying Jesus' cross for him, what kind of impact did it have on Simon? The Bible tells us. Let's take a, take a tour real quick. Mark chapter 15, verse 21. Mark chapter 15, verse 21. In Mark's gospel, Mark tells us this. They compelled a certain man, Simon of Cyrenian. The, here it is. The father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Mark's gospel, Mark wrote his gospel to the church at Rome, is what church history tells us. And in verse 21, Mark identifies this Simon as who? The father of Alexander and Rufus. That's important, okay? Alexander and Rufus were Christians at the church of Rome 30 years after this event, okay? Now listen to Paul's, the Apostle Paul's closing statement at the end of his letter to the church at Rome that we call the book of Romans. Romans 16, 13. Paul says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Simon, that carried Jesus' cross, became a Christian. And, uh, Simon became a Christian, and his wife became a Christian, and she was like a mother to the Apostle Paul, according to verse 16, 13. Greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Okay? We know that, that Paul did not have a brother named Rufus. So he's talking about the Rufus and the Alexander that Mark references. Paul wrote his letter to the church at Rome. Mark wrote his gospel from the preaching of Peter at the church of Rome. So for Simon, the impact... The impact that, that this had on Simon carrying Jesus' cross. For Simon, what began as a forced and resentful servitude carrying Jesus' cross changed his life forever. It changed his life forever. Not only did he get saved, but his whole entire family came to faith. That's why you have to study these things, man. There's... There's connections, these peoples. There's a reason and a purpose for all these names listed at the end of each epistle and their greetings because this community was interwoven. They knew each other. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he had died on the cross and rose from the grave and offered men and women new life, it spread like wildfire throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and the Roman Greco world. These people knew each other. It was a very powerful thing. For Simon. And, you know, I wonder what it was like. Did, did he grab the cross? You know, were they walking side by side? Was he carrying the cross and seeing the body of Jesus? Did their eyes meet? Boy, that would have been a look to look into the eyes of God, to look into the eyes of Jesus as he was going down the Via della Rosa, as he was going to the cross. Simon carried his cross for Jesus. And, friends and family, you and I are called to carry our cross by following the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I say carry our cross, I mean we do whatever it takes to follow Christ with all of our heart. We do whatever it takes 
to obey his word. We do whatever it takes to witness to people. Our hearts are deeply rooted in his truth, in his love, in his grace. Simon, of all people, would be able to tell you about the love of God. The love of God in this innocent Jesus of Nazareth uh, going to the cross, paying the price by his suffering and by his death. And here's the application in closing. The change that took place in Simon's life, how it changed his life, how it, he, he had um, sons Alexander and Rufus who were part of the church at Rome according to Mark chapter 15 verse 21, according to Rufus's mother, which would be Simon's wife, which Paul considered his own mother, man, they had some awesome conversations. Can you imagine them talking about Rome and, and, and Simon filling in Peter and Paul and the other apostles on the events of Calvary? Oh man, it must have been amazing because they had saw it with their eyes. And friends and family, you and I get to see it, but you and I get to see it through the eyes of faith by studying the word of God. Let it sink in. Here it is. He did this for you. He did this for you. Jesus did this for you. It's by his stripes we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. Put, put your name, put your name and fill in the blank. He was crushed so that you could be raised. He was beaten so you and I could be healed. He bore the cup of God's wrath so that you could be forgiven. Jesus stood in our place of judgment that we deserved. In John 8, 24, Jesus said, talking about the unbelievers, if they die, they will die in their sin. Okay? A person who refuses to put their trust in Christ and be born again, they will die in their sin. God will hold them accountable and the, the wrath of God will come upon that person in hell for their sin. But if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will take the punishment for you because he did at the cross. He stood in our place. He is worthy not just of our hearts, but he's worthy of our lives. He's worthy to live for. He stood in the place. He was crushed. He was beaten. He took on the cup of God's wrath so that we could have new life. When I study passages like this, it just, it, it, it melts my heart in devotion to Christ. And I hope it does the same for you. I hope the study of the scourging of Jesus and as we get next week into the crucifixion, that it just melts your heart in love towards Christ, in devotion towards Christ, and in obedience towards Christ. He did this for you in his love. And he, all he asks of us today, is all he asks of the world today is to repent and believe the gospel. Trust him as their Lord and Savior, and he will give them a new heart and eternal life. Friends and family, that is the love of God. He, he displayed it. 
He displayed it through everything he suffered. And all he asks of us in return is to surrender our hearts and our lives for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we stand amazed this morning by looking at your word and looking at the suffering of Christ. Lord, help us to um, esteem the sacrifice. Help us to say thank you. Help us to stand in awe of your wonderful sacrifice that you made for us. You stood in our place and took the judgment of God for our sin. So Lord, thank you. And by your stripes, we are healed. By your sacrifice, we are made whole. Lord Jesus, thank you for healing our hearts. Thank you for healing our minds. Father, thank you, Lord, for physical healing that we receive in this life and the ultimate healing that we will receive when we stand before you. By your stripes, we are healed. And we stand in that truth. And we thank you for it, Lord. In two trillion, 100 trillion years from now, we'll be praising you for all eternity, for what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that each and every person here will examine their hearts, make sure that their repentance is vertical, and they understand the great sacrifice that you made for us. Lord, strengthen us, Father, lead us, guide us, direct us as we move forward and we approach the summit of the cross. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.